Thanks for sharing that verse. Um, fantastic. Um, I, uh, I apologize also, I need to apologize also, for the, the title of the message today. Um, and I'm sure in, in some of your discussion groups, you tried to figure it out, and you're like, well, what in the world was Lloyd thinking when he's put Biff Monster as the title of a sermon? Um, let me explain just a little bit. The, the bulletin probably kind of gives you a little bit of indication uh, as to what Biff Monster is all about. When Greg and I used to ski, there were many times where, where we would just be cruising down the mountain without any problems at all. And then all of a sudden, I'd look over, he'd look over, and there was just a snowball of chaos happening. And we were flying through the air. Skis were flying this way, goggles that way, poles that way. And it was... When it was all said and done, we called it a garage sale. But, but in the moment, it was a Biff monster. The Biff monster had gotten you uh, at that moment. And so that's where the Biff monster came from. There was one night we were skiing. It was Keystone, and we were night skiing, uh, Mike O'Dell and Greg and myself. I think, I think Mike had given us a ride up there because I don't think Mom and Dad were around. But I think we, Greg and I were too young to drive still. Uh, but anyway, so we had figured out that school marm, I don't know if you guys have ever skied Keystone. Does the word school marm mean anything to you? Okay, school marm was a, a run that went from the very top and it curved back and forth across the mountain like this and then ended up clear at the bottom of the bottom of the gondola. And you could ski school marm all night long because the lights were on and um, you could ski it. It was usually not very crowded at night, and so we loved to ski at night. It was fabulous. And we had figured out that we could ski backwards, and it was a blast. And, we just, and school mom was wide open. I mean, the, the, the run was probably two or three times the width of this room. And you can imagine, it just lots of room. And so we were just cruising along and skiing backwards and messing around and being stupid. And Mike and I were kind of out in the middle of the run, and Greg was kind of over there closer to the trees. And we turned around. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Greg. Greg might have to correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was Greg because the Biff monster got Greg much more than it got any of the rest of us. We were skiing backwards, and there was there happened to be an emergency telephone. There were no such things as cell phones in your pockets up there. It was emergency telephone. There was this red pole with a phone on it that if somebody crashed, you called and you would get ski patrol to come up and rescue you well he had gone too close to the trees and the emergency telephone was there and he had straddled the emergency telephone but he was skiing backwards and he hit that pole just dead on and we both turned and looked and it was hit the pole and then hit the ground it was just that quick it was just boom boom and of course the phone got knocked off the the hook and so we went over and tried to pick the phone up and tried to pick greg up and and of course he was a little woozy, um, but the Biff monster had definitely got it. The phone rings and Mike answers it and hello. And I lost it. I could not, I mean, I was dying laughing. Like this guy talking, answering the phone like it's no big deal. And, and of course, anytime we were up there skiing and somebody wrecked, it was like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Let's go. Well, Mike didn't get that hint and so he's talking to ski patrol and me in the in the in the meantime was trying to get greg off the ground and 
going again. And Mike's trying to answer the questions that the ski patrol is asking him. And they're asking, so is this person all right? Are you sure he's okay? Is, you know, asking him all these questions. And I'm like, Mike, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. So after a long time, um, we finally hung up the phone and were able to get back to skiing. But that's the story that I remember. When I think of Biff Monster, that's what I think of. Um, your bulletin has many um, pictures of near misses or, or misses, uh, people getting ready to crash. I've seen a lot of crashes on the Olympics this year, and um, luckily not too many of them have gotten hurt. Um, but yeah, the Biff Monster definitely gets us. We're in the book of Psalms, and um, there's some greatest hits. We used to listen to music when we were skiing often. Um, and that would probably cause some trouble once in a while because you wouldn't be able to hear what was going on. And, um, but there were, there were greatest hits that we would listen to. And, and the book of Psalms is kind of like that. They're the greatest hits. They're the things that, that either meant a lot to them or were, um, were beneficial to them in some way, shape, or form and um, passed down to us so that we can read them. Many of them written by David. Many of them written by others uh, at the same uh, time frame. And um, so anyways, it's good to good to read these. We're going to focus on Psalms 51 today. And if you're not familiar with Psalm 51, I want you to turn there. I want you to find it in your apps. We're going to spend a great deal of time in Psalm 51. Um, what do you do when the Biff monster gets you? This is the, the place where David finds himself completely wiped out by the Biff monster. The word Biff, by the way, um, by definition is to fall on your face or in an absolutely ridiculous fashion. Yes. When we look to the right and Greg slammed into that pole, the pole is blown, and Greg slams his face on the ground, it was a definitely in ridiculous fashion um, to fall on your face in absolutely ridiculous fashion. I don't know about you, but I can think back on my life and think back top 10 top 20 uh, really in all reality it's probably more like the top 200 that i could probably think of of the times when the biff monster has gotten me make a list in your head for a sec make a list in your head of the times that either physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually the biff monster has gotten you when you think about those epic fails those times when you failed miserably, spiritually speaking. What were the factors that led to that failure? When I think back about mine, it was usually one of two reasons. And it's the reasons that we've covered in the last two messages. One, I was either hanging out with the wrong crowd. Or two, I, had, I was being led by something other than God's word. I made a decision based on my own selfishness rather than God's word. And those factors definitely played a part in those top 20 times the Biff Monster got me. Either it wasn't the right crowd or it wasn't the right compass. Psalm 51 in my Bible, I don't know if it's in, is in yours, has a little description right above the chapter. Can you guys find that? Does it have a little description right above the chapter, right before it starts? It says something about to the music director or to the choir director. Does it say that? Mine says, For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David 
had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Really? You're going to preface my song with that? You remember Casey Kasem? Anybody? Yeah. You're the top 40? You know, I wish I could mimic his voice. Um, but can you imagine him starting off a song? I want to give a shout out to all you out there who uh, slept with your neighbor's wife and then killed their husband. This, this song's for you. This song's for you. That's kind of what it's like, right? The Bible prefaces this, this passage of scripture with what's really going on. So we're going to look behind the music for just a second. It's a VH1 classic behind the music, right? Sorry, if any of you don't know what VH1 is, it's probably a 90s thing. Does VH1 even exist anymore? Does it? It's probably got all this stupid reality, reality stuff on it now, but that's where they all went. Let's look behind the music. I want you to write this down, 2 Samuel. I don't know if I put it on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. We are not going to read these two chapters, but these are the two chapters that we want to focus on um, when we look behind the music. The Biff Monster God David. This is sort of a, a rooftop experience. It's when shit get interesting, right? If you ask David, he would tell you, this is the first time he's ever really looked at porn. But I've been helping guys who struggle with porn long enough to know that he knew exactly what time of day. He knew exactly which rooftop to venture onto to see what he saw. Let's be real. We all have temptations that once in a while we venture a little bit too close to. We allow ourselves to get a little bit too close to that thing that we're tempted by the most. It could be emotional. It could be relational. We know that we're just a little outside the boundary. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's rationalizing our, our health and our eating. It could be sharing stories that wander over a little bit too close to gossip. It's twisting the story and, and making one up every now and then. It's making a a commitment, and then almost following through with everything you promise. We all have rooftops. It's not always about sexuality. Sometimes it's in the workplace. Maybe it's, maybe it's where we find our self-esteem or where we get our value from. David sees her. He invites her over, sleeps with her. She goes home maybe weeks, maybe a month, finds out she's pregnant. He starts scheming to make it look like the child is her husband's. Then it's the hand that writes almost 70 psalms, more than 70 psalms, the same hand that writes the note to the commander to put Bathsheba's husband on the front lines and have him killed in battle. Murder takes place. Almost a year passes by and David covers it up. He thinks he's gotten away with it. He takes this widow and her child into his home. Oh, did you hear? We have such a great king. He's taken a widow and, and her son in, in as, a, you know, as a kind gesture. Her husband died in battle and the king has taken her in. What a great king we have. He takes this, this sin, makes himself look like a hero until there's a knock at the door. 
Nate comes waltzing in. This is the prophet that God's been speaking through, that God's been using. He sits down and he starts in on a story. You see, David, there's a problem in the kingdom. There's a man outside the wall, and he's wealthy, and he has, he has thousands of sheep. And, and right next door is a really poor man who hardly has anything. And this real poor man scrapes all he has, and he buys a lamb. He and his children love this little lamb. They feed it right off their table. They, they come up with a, little, a name for this lamb. Name is, the lamb, rather, is allowed to eat right off the kitchen table. This lamb's like another child to him. Then one day, the rich man has some friends coming into town, and he wants to, to, to throw a barbecue, and he wants to you know, invite his friends over for this barbecue. He looks at his thousands of sheep, and instead of picking one of his, he sneaks over into the poor man's house, and he steals his childlike lamb and slaughters this poor man's lamb and feeds it to his guests. David says, this rich man is going to pay with his life. Who is this guy? Nate says, this guy is you. He says, well, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe I just uh, judged a little too quickly. This is the story behind the music. David begs for forgiveness. Nathan says, God forgives you. But then what? How many of you have asked forgiveness from God? We've asked for forgiveness from God, right? All of us have. How many of you know for, for a fact, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God has forgiven you? Yeah, God's forgiven, right? But how many times do we go back and ask for forgiveness again and again and again for that same sin? Why? because we still feel the weight, the guilt of that sin. The consequence of that sin still resides within us. It's difficult to forget, right? So how do we get back up? Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. He goes into it, right into God's compassion, right into his love. It's not because I'm the, it's not because I'm the king. It's not because I'm, I'm doing better now. It's not, because, it's not because I've been coming to church now for six months. No. It's because God's unfailing love. It's because God's great mercy that we're forgiven, that we're put back on track. David realized that it all starts with the power and purpose of the cross. It all starts with the power and purpose of the cross. We can't get caught up in our own sin and failure. We have to focus on the power and purpose of the cross. Hebrews 9.13 says, The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through eternal, his eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Matthew 26, 28 says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For what? 
for the forgiveness of sins. I feel it. And I've heard many people say it to me. You, you just don't understand what I've done. Preacher, you just don't get it. You just don't understand my past. It is it's impossible. You just don't get it. You don't understand the addiction that I'm caught up in right now. You don't understand it. You're right, I don't. But I'm going to put it right back to you. You don't understand the power and the purpose of the cross. Listen closely. This is what we're doing. He says, you don't understand what's going on in my life. When we make that claim, we, we come to the foot of the cross. And we are standing there. And Jesus is hanging there on the cross. Arms outstretched. Nails through his hands and his feet. Bleeding from head to toe. He's hanging there right in front of us on the cross. Suffering and dying. And you look up at the nails through his hands and his feet. And you're saying, no, that's just not good enough for me. Are you serious? If you say you've gone too far and you've fallen off, you've fallen far too far away from God that you, God, just can't, God just can't reach out to me anymore. It's just not possible for me to get back to him. God never looks down at any one of us and says, wow, that person's way too bad. My son's death on the cross wasn't quite enough for that person. It's going to take just a little bit more. He doesn't say that. Ever say that. Don't just hit play on the iPod and listen in. God wants to know where it came from. He wants us to understand that this was a rooftop experience. If this guy who was, was God's very own king to rule his people, if God called him a man after his own heart and he can get forgiven after such a stupid blunder, after the Biff monster just completely took him out, then God definitely has a process for you and me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And so we have, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Right down to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything, all the chaos in life, to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Isaiah 55 and verse 7 says, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong and let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. First Peter's full of them. 
Sorry, kids, you're getting a workout today. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Anybody ever think about life being empty? Yeah, it's empty. It was not paid for by mere gold and silver, which lose their value. Chapter 2 and verse 24 says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Chapter 3 and verse 18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for you, for you sinners, to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit how do we get back up when the biff monster gets us down it all starts with the power and purpose of the cross secondly past sins are more about god than others look at psalms 51 are you still there with me psalms 51 if you didn't leave your bible there leave it there because we're going to go back there a couple times psalms 51 look at verse 3 says for i recognize my rebellion it haunts me day and night Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you have been proved right in, in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Did anything in that passage of Scripture catch you wrong? Did anything about that passage of Scripture, does anything about that passage of Scripture bug you? Focus on verse 4 for just a second. Look at it with me. Verse 4. What does it say? Read it in your Bible. Does that bother you? Against you and you alone have I sinned. Oh, wait just a minute. What about Uriah's family? What about Bathsheba's family? What about the brothers and sisters? What about, what about all of those people that were involved in this sin? What about the rest of David's life? Why does he say, against you and only you have I sinned? Not only did David understand the heart of God, the power and purpose of the cross, but he understood past sins are more about God than others. Did he mess up people's lives? Oh yeah, he definitely did. Many of us are living with ramification of someone else's selfish decision to rebel against God. We all deal with it. But David understood that this was more about God than it was about others. Luke 15, 21 says, His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know the story, the prodigal son. Romans three twenty three says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Down to six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin separates us from God. It's more about God than it is about others. 
We have to correct things with God. That's the most important thing. This week, Darren hit a box. At, was it Ark? And found a Walt Clark Middle School yearbook. And inside this yearbook was, interestingly enough, was two names. There was one kid's name, often, and then at the very back of the book, in small print, was the name of, I thought this was the owner of the book, but it's not. The letter explains. He says, Dear Cole, I am writing this apology letter to you because of this reason. I was at the school and we were coming in from lunch when I saw your yearbook on the ground. And I picked it up and took it as my own. Why I took your yearbook is because I have a very bad problem with impulsively taking things that I would like to have. Also, I didn't have enough for one. So when I found yours, I didn't think and took it as my own to have and to remember all the cool people and friends like you puts in quotes but I am guessing that you probably don't even um, want to see me without punching me in the face I don't blame you for even for that even I agree and I probably deserve a good kick in the butt to say wake up and smell the coffee I don't think very I do think very good of you I think you are very cool and talented like in orchestra you sound awesome actually know what sometimes I wish I could be just like you. I also know you are a really, really cool guy. That is also how you got your nickname, Cool Cole, I'm guessing. I never thought in my life that I would do anything like that to someone I have known since the third grade at Big Thompson. I am, again, really, really sorry. I know that probably I cannot say it enough to you. I will never be looked at the same from you with what I did to you. This is really, really messed up thing to do to you because I don't think anything disrespectful when it comes to thinking about you. I think you are a really, really cool guy that deserves nothing but the best. You probably think very little of me. No, but I guess that is what I deserve. So once again, I say sorry, sorry, sorry for taking your yearbook. It was a very, very messed up thing to do to someone so nice like you. Signed, Brandon. This young man was very concerned about his relationship with this other individual, right? I wonder if Brandon wrote a letter to God like that. What do you think? I would venture to say probably not. Is something like this necessary? And is something like this worthwhile? And is something like this heartfelt? Well, absolutely. But what was he really trying to mend? What was he really trying to get accomplished? It was a horizontal thing, wasn't it? It wasn't a vertical thing. You know what? If, if Brandon would have made things right with God, his relationship with Cole probably would have been a lot easier. And probably would have been a lot easier to mend if he would have been right with God. David knew it as well. Much better.
to make things right with God. Yeah, it's good to fix things with others, but ultimately, this is about separation from God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it says, It is your evil that has separated you from God. Your sins cause him to turn away from you, and he does not hear you. David understood this sin was about, about me and God. It's a God thing that's most important to fix. When we realize our sin is about us and God, we're better equipped to forgive others, better equipped to mend relationship with others when we're good vertically. To get back up after the Biff monster's taken us out, we have to realize the power and purpose of the cross. We have to realize that it's really about God. And third, past sins have physical consequences. We just read it. Psalm 51, 3, down through verse 8. I mean, it's, it's brutal what it feels like to be in those situations where we've sinned and we have these consequences. Psalm 32 is another place that David writes, Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty and in whom there is nothing false. When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. Day and night you punished me. My strength was gone as in the summer heat. Then I confessed my sins to you. You didn't hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord, and you forgave my guilt. You notice how David is taking this beyond just forgiveness of sin, but he's taking it also to blotting out the guilt, to removing the guilt of this sin. The world doesn't have a way, a method to deal with guilt. So we're chasing all sorts of things the world does to relieve those feelings of guilt. Verse 38, or Psalm 38, verse 4, it says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain all day long. I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me, and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails, and I am going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away from me, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Wow. This guy's busted. He's broken. The guilt is heavy. I don't know about you, but I've been there. We have to realize that some things are fixed immediately. There are some things that are fixed immediately. There's a bad attitude, right? God, just a rotten attitude today, and, and I'm just kind of going about life, and i got a rotten attitude, and I realize it. Okay, hold on a sec. I just got a rotten attitude. Straighten it out. Okay, straighten it up. God, help me straighten this up. Okay, I forgive you. Good. I'm good to go. Some things can be fixed that easily, Right? Was there a consequence to that sin? Yes, there was. I was feeling gross. I was feeling awful. God fixed it. I was able to correct it. Some things are fixed later. There are some that can't be fixed right this second. There are some sins that we carry with us. Some, takes ye- some take years to get over. The guilt lingers and we are crushed by its weight. When the unveiling finally happens, when that sin is finally confessed, when we, when we come clean with it all, Man, it feels great, doesn't it? Like that load is lifted off of us. We're able to breathe again. 
Some things are fixed later. Some things are never fixed. The family is still destroyed. The relationships will probably never be mended. The kids have moved on. Some consequences can never be fixed. As much as God is a God of unfailing love, he's also a God of justice. You might be off and free, but what about Bathsheba's family? What about Uriah's family? What about Uriah's parents who no longer have a son? 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, we find Nathan's response to David's repentance. Why then have you despised the word of God and done this horrible deed, Nathan says, for you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword and the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because you, of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with him in public view. You did in secret what, what will happen to you in open sight of all, the, of, all of Israel. And David confesses his sin. Look at verse 13. Then David confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies, yes, the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Read the rest of the story. All these predictions come true to the worst possible degree. His very own sons come into the, the castle, come into the king's quarters, and his own son steals his wives and sleeps with his wives on the tops of the roof so the entire nation can see what's going on. Yikes. God, why are you crushing me like this? Because there are consequences to sin. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 26, it says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning, after receiving knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. This is the only terrible expectation. There's only terrible expectation of God's judgment, raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses will, will be, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant with which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will repay them. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There are real consequences to sin, and sometimes they don't go away. Yes, forgiveness is real, and yes, it is immediate, and yes, spiritually speaking, our reconciliation between us and God can be healed, but there are consequences. It is fair that others sin and cause us pain. <laughs> no, it's not. It doesn't feel good, but you know what? It has to be the way it is. I hear people say, I've been, I've been doing really good lately, and I've been, I've been coming to church, and I've been, I've been you know, taking my family in the way that it should go. I just can't figure out why, is, why God is not, it's not, this God thing is really not working for me. I don't get it. Why won't he start letting go of these consequences? 
Why? Because we're paying for sin. We're paying the consequence of sin. How do we get back up? How does this get better? Number four, the only way it gets better is when we come broken and full of remorse. We have got to come to a place of repentance. Psalms 51 verse 16 says, You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Over in the book of Joel chapter 2. It says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and to not punish. You aren't going to like this picture, but go with me for just a second. I think there's a lot of us in our Christian walk and, and our Christian lives, and, and maybe, maybe you're not even a Christian yet, but maybe you kind of just come to this realization that there is a God in it and that Jesus has died on the cross for you. I think there's times when we just glance up at the cross and we, we run over to him and we, we give him a high five right through, right on top of his nail-pierced hand in the cross. And we say, thanks, buddy, boy, I really appreciate that. And we just move right on with our lives. We run along better. Thanks, pal. You're great. Makes me angry when I think about the times when I've treated the cross in this way. We justify. We brush over sin like it's no big deal. We look at the cross like it's, like it's no big deal. I think it's time we stall at the foot of the cross and we take it in for a moment. Jesus' quivering muscles, his torn flesh, the bright red blood flowing down his face and his eyes, his eyes, the pain in those eyes, so visible a child would notice it. Really, Lloyd, you're going to claim your rights again? Those thoughts, those actions, those are what put me here on this cross. I can't believe that substance, that crutch, that thing you think you need so bad. You let it control you, and it puts me back. It puts me back in this place on the cross. Healing begins with brokenness. We have got to come to the place where we feel the pain that we caused our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent the severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you are not harmed by, by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin that results in, in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. James chapter 4 verse 7 also says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. 
for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. You don't want religion. You don't care how many times you plop your, your skinny runt of a behind in this chair. Maybe it's fat. I'm just trying to be, you know, real. He doesn't care how many times you're in church. He doesn't care how many times you serve a, a, a needy family. He doesn't care how many buckets of food you bring. He cares about your repentance. He wants repentance, not rebellion. We get forgiveness. We understand it. We understand what it means for us. What's next? We get forgiveness. We understand. We literally, we get that. Like I mentioned earlier, it's difficult at times to move beyond that. It's difficult to move beyond it. It's difficult to put the guilt aside and allow God to bless and move us forward. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 is one that I think is helpful. 16 through 19, it says, I pray that as from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through your spirit. That's what I'd like to feel. I'd like to feel empowerment, right? Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And, and may you have the power to understand all God's people as all God's people should. How wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ through its, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be able to be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The cross brings freedom from our sins. The cross brings freedom from our sins. We see it. Psalms 51 and verse 2. Wash me, cleanse me, purify me. Verse 10. Create me a new heart, uh, right? Renew a loyal spirit within me. 51 12. Uh, restore me a joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Psalm 32 5. Finally, I, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all wickedness. Forgiveness at the cross brings freedom from our sins. And secondly, it brings us usefulness after our sin. I don't know about you, but when I've sinned and I've fallen, even after I've asked for forgiveness, sometimes I don't feel useful. Sometimes I don't feel like a good husband. Sometimes I don't feel like a good dad. Sometimes I don't feel like a good leader. I, I just feel like garbage still. It just sits there for a sec. God wants us to be able to get back up. He wants our usefulness to continue. Psalms 51, 51 and verse 18. I really thought when I read this passage of scripture that this, this passage had slipped. It, it was like, whoop, it slipped from, from, from where it should have been to to on this page, right? It slipped from the page before it or from the page after it and it landed right on top of this page. Like, okay, it was an accident. Look at it with me. 51 of verse 18, it says, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. 
What is he talking about? We were, we were just on forgiveness, and we were just asking for God to create in me a pure heart, and then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're burning bulls on the altar again. What's going on? David is getting back to work. He has made it to the place in his life, he has made it to the place in his relationship with God, that in spite of all the garbage and all the trouble and all the chaos that he's caused in his life, God's forgiven him, he's been able to move on, and now he's ready to get back to work. Usefulness after sin. The cross brings it, and we need to realize it. It does. David gets back to work. In spite of what I am and what I've done, I'm greatly loved by him. I don't know if it's a lyric. I don't know if it's a verse. You know what? It's real. All of that garbage, all of that crud that we get ourselves into on a daily basis, we are greatly loved by him. He wants to restore us. He wants to get us back on track. Get back and being useful. Being useful to others. Yeah, it's good to make up with, with other people. And it's good to get along with them. And it's good to be you know, back in cahoots with our, our Christian brothers. And, and even our friends from work. And our friends uh, and, and family. It's, a, it's great to be back in, in tune with them. But you know what? The best thing is to be back in tune with God. Fix that vertical relationship. Focus on that and allow the cross to do what it was intended to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the honor it is to be called one of yours. God, I don't know where we are, all, all of us are today. There may be some of us here today that, that, are, that are solid in our foundation with you. And yes, we've slipped. And yes, the, the Biff monster has taken us out multiple times. But we've seen how you can restore us and how we can get back on track. God, we maybe, we're, maybe we're on track today. God, please bless us and help us to stay there. Help us to realize that when the Biff monster does take us out, we can be restored. God, maybe we're in the bottom of a pit. Maybe we've just been taken out at the knees. Biff monster's taken us out and we're laying flat on our backs. God, help us to reach to you for that reconciliation. God, help us to reach out to you and be, be, come in contact with the very blood that saves us. Help us to realize that, that that forgiveness is available, but God, also that you want to restore us fully to back to where you want us to be, serving you. God, may we were one that has never made a commitment to you. God, help those here that have never made a commitment to you to make today the day. Now, they want to have all of their, their sins washed clean. They want to be renewed in, their, in themselves and, and be made whole again. God, help those that are here that haven't made that commitment to make that today. God, we ask that you bless us with each and every one of these situations, no matter where we are. God, that we'll rely on you more fully. And we'll take this Psalms 51, this, this place where David landed flat on his back as a reference for us and, and, and allow us to experience your love and experience your peace and your grace and your, your mercy to get us back to where, where we need to be. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for those that are here. God, please help us to make decisions based on what we've heard today. Not just leave it. God, do something about it. Pray these things in Jesus' name.